is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 225 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to my sprint writing partner, Cara Clare, all about why choose, or another word for it is writing reverse harem. First, to some comments from Angela Ford's uh, special edition book box episode, DJ Russo underscore author said, oh, amazing, this is my favourite podcast, and Angela is one of my favourite authors, which is amazing. Shana Frost said, I'm enjoying the podcast. And Matthew Goodall said, such an informative episode. Great to hear experiences as she's gone through various iterations of online stores. And then on Patreon, Wendy said, hello, Sasha, this episode was timely for me. Lots of encouraging details from you and Angela on Selling Direct. And Wendy goes on to talk about um, her Selling Direct platforms and the digital assets and things that she has done over the years, which is fantastic. Uh, so thank you very, very much, everybody who uh, commented. I really love getting to read your comments. Uh, even if I don't read them all out, I do love seeing them. So please do comment on the episodes uh, if you have some comments. Okay, in personal news and updates then, I am vagina deep in the edits of uh, the first vampire romance book, which is called House of Crimson Hearts. I don't know if I've actually said that out loud. I'm sick of calling it vampire book one. So it is officially called House of Crimson Hearts. It is part one of a trilogy that is following the same couple. And um, I'm going through the motions of like, every day, edits drive me crazy, right? Like psychologically, they fuck me up. (laughs) When I'm drafting, I'm like, yeah, I'm the best fucking writer ever. Like, that's basically my mindset. And then when I'm editing, like, one minute, I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And the next minute, I'm like, no, I hate this. And then I just, like, cycle through those emotions until I get to the end. And then somebody gives me, you know, feedback. And then I'm like, actually, it's fine. This book is fantastic. I love this book just as much as I love the last book, you know. But you have to, like, cycle through that kind of motion and roller coaster until you get to the point where you're like, no, okay, I'm ready to to let go. So I'm in that kind of like pendulum swing of utter joy and sheer despair at like your own writing. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, What I can say is that I am super excited for this one. Vampires are like my personal brand of catnip. Like if it has vampires in, I'ma read it. Or like, I will watch it. I don't think there's like any vampire, anything that I've ever read or watched and not loved. Actually, that's not true. Like there are some things that I'm like, eh, but for the most part, if it's vampires, I will love it. So um, this has been a long time coming and I am pretty sure, actually, I'm not pretty sure, I know. So I'm kind of announcing it, but. I haven't decided the format that it's going to take. I've got two options with how I deliver this and that bit I haven't decided, but I am going to do a special edition. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay, okay. So I am going to do a special edition. I'm going to do a special edition book box, which is kind of cool, given off the back of Angela's episode. Um, there'll be a, li- it will be limited. There's going to be a limited edition print run. Um, and like, I'm kind of tearing my hair out a little bit because I want to do it at the same time as the launch. 
so that it's like one of the options. I, I don't know if it will happen quite at the same time, but I'm certainly trying. Um, and I have just, you know, gone for it and I've ordered pretty much everything that's required for it. I know it's a big risk because if they don't sell, I'm gonna be crying. Um, but I, you know, I, I haven't gone overboard. I haven't ordered, you know, like a thousand of everything. And this is why I say it really genuinely is a limited edition print run. Um, I haven't ordered the print books yet. I think what I'm gonna do is put it on pre-order of some variety um but more on that after I have finished editing um which by the time this airs I should have finished editing so by the time you hear the next episode I think I'll have made all of the decisions about what that's going to look like but I am so fucking excited the cover is amazing I can't wait to see the the special edition all of the goodies and stuff that are going to be inside it <laughs> oh, I need to like calm my tits because I just want to squeal about it. I'm so excited. Um, and I just think this story deserves everything. So yeah, anyway, okay, that's it. I will talk more about that when I have more. And that is literally all I've been working on. I've been working on ordering the planet of stuff and, um, you know, all of the bloody strings that are involved in coordinating that kind of special thing. Um, and I have been doing edits. So next week, I am going to be finalizing the pros in the market webinar because the, 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 the webinar is about half done, I would say. So next week, I'm going to be finalizing it. So I'm going to tell you about this right up until we do it because hey look at me putting myself out there i know i'm so proud sasha so proud anyway pros in the market i am running my first ever live webinar and i'm going to be running three sessions over the course of a weekend and that's in order to try and accommodate as many time zones as possible so it's the same class across three different sessions Writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, they focus on understanding the market, advertising, brand and pitch. But what about the writing and craft of writing to market? If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the workshop for you. In this session, I'll explain how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find, an easy three-step methodology to help you deconstruct, practical examples examples of deconstruction and how to then implement it in your own work, why you're not using copywriting enough, how to intentionally slip TikTokable and marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers, the craft of tropes, live deconstruction, and hopefully you guys will give me some examples too, and I will prep you in time for you to be able to do that. You'll also receive a workbook containing exercises for you to implement all of the things that you learn during the sessions. This is also limited. There's a theme this year. Um, there are limited places and this will not be up for um, purchase afterwards. You can only get access to this if you buy a ticket before the sessions. If you buy a ticket and you can't make it, it's not a problem. I will record it, but I will only be sending that recording to the people people who have a ticket. Okay, I think that is it from me. Uh, let's do the Rebel of the Week. So the Rebel of the Week this week is Jasmine Arch. And Jasmine says, my partner is in the armed forces and was about to deploy in November of 2020 in full lockdown for a five month mission to Afghanistan. This meant for me, I'd spend five months by myself when at home. Since I work in healthcare, I at least got some social contact at work because even antisocial me would have gone nuts otherwise. But about two weeks before the departure date, I was working 
looking at the MRI console with a co-worker. In the connected office behind us, a radiologist was working well within earshot. Also well within earshot was our next patient who was already in the prep area. And there goes my co-worker, leans back with a uh, smirk. So you got your backup guy lined up for when your husband is gone. Oh my God! Uh, this was the day when he, that he learned ne to never ask me a question unless he was sure he wants the answer. I shrug and go, meh, I stocked up on batteries. Ah! <laughs> 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 oh my God. <laughs> okay, so uh, where am I? <laughs> I stocked up on batteries. That's all I need, really. And a lot less maintenance than another guy. This was literally the first time in about three years of working on the same team <laughs> that, I saw, <laughs> that I saw him tongue-tied. <laughs> oh, oh, my God, this has tickled me pink. Oh, his cheeks flushed above his mask. <laughs> The patient was quietly snickering, you and me both, and the radiologist <laughs> full on belly laughing at him. <laughs> oh God, I can't control myself. If you seriously think you're the first man to ask me inappropriate questions, think again, but none of them do it more than once. <laughs> Oh my god, this was so good. Oh my god, this proper, proper tickled me pink. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm back. I had to take a minute to uh, uh, bring myself back to calm. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It doesn't even have to be your rebellion. It could be a pet, a grandma. It could be a mother, a cousin, a sister, a brother, a sibling. It could be anybody's rebellion. Please do send them in. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Amber, Matthias and Teeny J. And of course, a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And those bonus goodies include things like joining the Patreon community Slack group, where we have over 100 authors chatting every day, answering and asking questions generally being amazing and supporting each other. We have the fight to the death quarterly uh, challenge for, to reach our goals and support. Somebody always hosts each week doing different kinds of activities and challenges to help you get to your goals. We have the monthly movie night, which should be happening, I think, the night the day that this airs next time. Uh, we have the masterclasses. The next masterclass is on how to get to Amazon number one, comparing an indie author and a traditionally published author looking at brand pitch packaging, uh, their marketing, their tropes, their craft, their ads, all of that good stuff. Okay, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cara Clare. Cara is a best-selling author of Paranormal Reverse Harem. After ghostwriting for several years, she now makes a living from her own books. Cara's books have a witchy, white-choose twist and plenty of spice. She lives in Suffolk, England with her son and soppy ginger cat. Hello and welcome. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Now, I have been talking about you on this podcast. It's just that nobody knows that it's you that I've been talking about. (laughs) No, I I've been t- no, no. I've been telling everybody that I have this new friend that I have been sprinting with, who who is helping me write ten million thousand words at like the speed of light. <laughs> and surprise, it's Kara. <laughs> yeah, well, you're helping me too because I procrastinate like crazy. So having you being like, "Are we doing the words now?" <laughs> is helping me get the words out. Yeah, uh, I think it's a, I think we make a great team. But like before we dive into that, because I, I do ask you a question about this later. Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today? Um, Sure, I'll try and make it brief. Um, So I'm one of those kids, you know, a lot of writers are like I always wanted to write books. I actually did always want to write books. Like when my parents moved house, they found this list of what I wanted to do when I grew up. And number one was draw cartoons for Disney. I can't draw, so that didn't work out. But number two was write books. Um, But it seems weird to even think about it. But before Kindle and KDP, like being a writer just didn't really feel like an option, like a viable career option. So I did an English degree, I did an MA in publishing, and then I worked in academic and educational for a really long time. Um, I wrote my first book just before I was 30, which was one of those, if I don't do it now, I'm going to get married, have kids, and maybe it won't ever happen. Um, And then kind of nothing much happened for a while and skip forward to when I was on maternity leave, I was then kind of having to make that decision that most women have to make, which is, am I going to go back to work full time or am I going to work part time? What am I going to do? Um, And I had a couple of people inquire about book coaching. So that kind of made the decision for me, really. And it was that light bulb moment of, okay, if I do that, I can work on my writing at the same time. And then I became obsessed with all the podcasts and learning how to become an indie author um and somewhere along the line the book coaching turned into ghost writing which we'll probably talk about later when you ask me about why I'm so fast um, <laughs> and I think it was 2020 that I started a women's fiction pen name and that was my kind of like right I'm doing this I'm going to be a full-time author I'm going to write women's fiction um but it was sort of a weird mix of sweet romance women's fiction it wasn't to market it wasn't right um so then I think it was the very beginning of last year, I gave myself a kick up the arse and I was like, right, no, seriously, if this is going to happen, it needs to be done properly. So I reverse, reverse, researched the heck out of everything. Reverse harem was one of those genres that was really blowing up. Um, and in all the groups, people were having a lot of success with it. So that was when the reverse harem started was last year. And then this year, I managed to go properly full time just with my own books. What did you learn from writing women's fiction? Uh, It's a good question. I think the romance element, because actually what I started off trying to do was sweet romance. And I think I needed a bit more plot than just the romance. So I always seeded in other stuff, which made it more women's fiction. But essentially the romance is the the main driver of the entire plot. So that was it. It was really getting into the characters and their kind of their relationship and really, really getting deep into that. I think that was the main thing that I took from writing it. Did you learn anything like about yourself or about business or about like approaching like writing? Because I know that like we all we were talking about this the other day and we were saying that we all have that first kind of series or dip in the toe. What's what's the phrase where you dip the toe in the water? water. (laughs) Yeah. And and it doesn't quite work, but it doesn't not work. But you still kind of 
get something from it? Yeah, I think definitely that when you think you know what the market wants, <laughs> do some more research. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, keep going, sorry. Because I was like, at the time, so basically my decision was I was either going to write crime or sweet romance because they're two genres that I liked. Um, The reason I picked sweet romance was because I didn't have a budget. And if I was going to write crime, I would need a proper editor. I would need an advisor because I need detail. I can't just make up, you know, procedure and stuff like that. Um, So I went for sweet romance. But I didn't research enough. I didn't do enough reading. Um, I thought I knew what sweet romance was. Um, and I just didn't hit it. I just didn't quite hit the with the covers, for example. Um, they were they were fine, but they weren't on on trend enough for that genre. Um, and I think instead of really actually thinking about my strengths as a writer, which were like setting and um, kind of more complex stuff between the like sub characters, not just the main characters, I. I kind of tried to fit, make myself fit into the sweet romance box and it didn't work. So I kind of should have reverse engineered it and started with what my strengths were and then actually looked at whether that was right for the sweet romance genre. And if I'd done that, I would have put it into women's fiction from the beginning and then it might have been more successful. I really feel like nobody wants to hear this message, but I really <laughs> feel like we have to go through that yeah, like some people are very self-aware and those people are very lucky <laughs> who are super self-aware, but I wasn't. And so I had to go through that journey. And I think a lot of writers have to go through that journey where they are trying, they are just writing books. And like that's what you need to do because you need to learn how to write a book. Then you need to learn how to market a book. And then you need to learn what the market is and what the market wants. And then you need to learn how you can marry your writing and your skills best in a genre like and I am still I'm still learning that like I know that I've had some success with with the first lot of Ruby Rose stuff but that comes with several years of trying and failing before that but but I still feel like I'm trying to work out exactly what it is that I want to write, like the level of spice. Do I go towards BDSM? Do I go into the erotica field? Do I make the characters darker? Do I make the romance darker? Like where are those lines? And I think we can only know those. And obviously it's not everybody's going to be in romance. Some people it might be like, well, how many serial killers do I want? You know, how many this or, (laughs) you know, whatever. Um, And I think... I think the difficult bit is the only way we know is by writing, starting writing and then finishing books. Exactly. Um, There's no, you can read all the craft books that you want and you should, but there's no shortcut from actually doing it. And it's a constantly evolving journey. And I think once you get further down your journey, hopefully you end up with other writer friends who you can talk to, who you can kind of go through this stuff with but a lot of the time when you're starting your journey you're with other people who are at the same point as you so none of you know what the heck you're doing (laughs) or or you're on your own and trying to go through that stuff and figure it out on your own is hard and I think in a lot of the groups and things that are amazing but we get carried away with focusing on the success stories and a lot of the time it's somebody who started a new pen name and you think oh my god They've gone to six figures in a year. Yeah. You don't see. And if I post, I always make a point of telling people, 
I was a ghostwriter. I worked in publishing. I wrote God knows how many books for, for five or six years before yeah. I hit the one that actually worked. Yeah. And even now, I'm like you said, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out what my brand is, what's going to work, what my readers want from me. I'm still going to make mistakes. Um, yeah, and I think there's also like not just what do your readers want from you, but what do you want from your art, yeah. right? Like I yeah. feel like we go in these swings and roundabouts, and also we, I, you know, I know that we need to almost rinse and repeat and make sure we're delivering like similar types and styles of books and traits. But and we things. want to feel like we're growing, exactly. And we want to play to our own strengths as well and figure out what those are. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your genre, because I've done a series of how do you write um, XYZ genre on the podcast, and this is one that I have not done. So your genre has kind of two names, and maybe we will or won't cover that, but one name is Reverse Harem, and the other one is Why Choose. So can you tell everyone a little bit about what it is that makes Why Choose, Why Choose the genre? Yeah. Um. So the yeah, most people still I think know it as reverse harem, but there's a bit of a shift and people are starting to call it why choose, and they both essentially mean the same thing, which is why choose one guy when you could have six. <laughs> <laughs> now, is um, that the case for women and lesbians? Because asking for me, <laughs> I mean, I think that could be what. Um, if it doesn't exist, I feel like you could be onto something. <laughs> I don't, I actually don't. So it's funny because I was looking the other day. There are very, very, very few oh polyamorous type uh, books for uh, lesbians. And I mm. think it's because we're so hell bent on um, monogamy, apparently. Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually. So the, the main crux of like the genre is there's one girl, multiple guys are in love with her. And I think that was the thing that really got me from kind of an empowerment point of view is that she is like literally everything. She is their queen. Every single one of them would die for her. Um, They can, the males can have friendships. They can have, they can, um, there can be sword crossing, but they should. You're going to have to explain what sword crossing is. (laughs) It's MM. So it's when the guys um, do stuff with each other. Yes. I was trying to be polite. I don't know why I'm trying to. Hello, it's my podcast. We don't need to be polite here. It's Um, when the guy's like the D2. Yes. (laughs) But they should only be in love with her. Um, So that's the main thing. And apart from that, you can kind of play around with anything you want. And oh, and they all have to be aware of it. So there's no cheating at all. There'll be a point at which she says, are you sure it's okay for me to date your friends or date? And they're like, yes, it's hot. We love it. Go for it. Um, so those are the two main things. And apart from that, you can kind of play around with stuff. So like where, have you ever thought about like where this came from? Because like, I feel like, you know, when we look at a lot of the spicier romance, a lot of that came from like the the Kindle and like w- women's ability to kind of read what they want without it having to be seen on the cover and stuff like that like do do was did this come out of lockdown and like or you know when you said the the genre was about how old I think it was before lockdown I'm not sure how old it is but I think it's been around a while all right okay it comes from that kind of like one guy 
can't usually fulfill all your needs. Like that, it's not that realistic to expect one guy to be super alpha male, but also really sensitive. And also, you know, you hate him, but then you love him. Whereas if you have reverse harem, you can have a guy for every kind of character trait. Um, or whole. Or whole and whole. <laughs> Um, and I think it is that empowerment thing of actually like it's all about her and it's what she wants and screw what other people think. So what mistakes do you see writers making when they attempt to try and sort of break into this genre? Um, I think at the moment people are getting a bit confused between polyamory and reverse harems because polyamory, they love each other. There is a an equal relationship between all, you know, three or four, how many people. Um, whereas reverse harem, it really is the woman is like at the top of the kind of ah, okay. or whatever. Um so that's something I think mainly on TikTok, people will ask for polyamory recs when that's not what they mean. Yeah. Um the other one, I think mainly it's actually being very clear about what is in your harem and what is in your book. Like if there is sword crossing MM, then just make it clear because some readers love it. Some readers don't want it. Um, personally, I think some of the harems are, can get too big. <laughs> like there's a point at which if you're writing multiple POV and you're trying to make those relationships actually meaningful and you're trying to make the characters you know, fully rounded. If you've got 10 of them, it's it gets tricky to do that. Um and the the love between the guys is a difficult one. I think some people get away with it, but me personally, I always kind of stop at the line of it's a deep friendship between the guys and they only love her because mainly that's what readers want. There aren't many who are okay with it if the guys actually are in love with each other. Is there that's interesting that they don't want them to love each other but they don't mind them boning each other I wonder what yeah. the that seems yeah that's an odd one that um is there kind of a uh a, a trope number for for example like is there a common number in a in in the group in I across think, the genre I think four or five tends to be kind of the most common, the ideal. Um, but obviously, if you've got longer series, <laughs> sometimes like you have to keep adding them in, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it's gonna get dull. Because and the main thing is kind of the driving force at the start of the series is the building of the harem and how those relationships develop. So once you've got every, everybody knows their role and everybody knows their place and you've got all those dynamics. Um, where do you go from there in terms of the romance? And that's another thing actually is, essentially it is a romance still. It's not just about the banging, it is a romance. So with each one of the guys in the harem, she has a romance, a love story with them. And it's building towards not just the hot sex, but also the I love you. So what is the structure of a series? And is there like, again, a tropey kind of common series style? Is it, do they all meet in book one? Are they interconnected standalones? Are they sequential? Like how, how does that work? And then, yeah, so tell me that kind of structure first. And okay, how so that works. generally, generally they're sequential. Um, I would say usually they meet in book one, even though all the guys aren't necessarily <clears throat> in the harem in book one. 
So they'll quite often be like you'll have the enemies to lovers where one is very resistant or that kind of thing. Um, it really depends on whether you are a slow burn or a fast burn. And then there's the two different ways you can do that. So you can have fast burn as in the spice kicks in straight away, but the harem isn't complete straight away. Or you can have you can kind of mix the two. So for me personally, um, I like it when it builds slowly over time. So with my books, I kind of each one in a way focuses on the the development of a different romance with the characters. Um, but the spice is immediate. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and I wonder why that is spice didn't kick in till chapter 15 15? at at the time I thought I was kicking in quite early and now I'm like oh you should have done that sooner fuck me that is like that's like mega slow and your number one activator as well I know (laughs) it's quite clear that that's what's going to happen but it doesn't actually there isn't actually any spice until chapter 15 in the first one and then all the others super like from basically from chapter one yeah so I I the first series was chapter three in book one I think it was chapter I feel like it was chapter three in book two but then book three was chapter six and I was like fuck me like it literally felt like forever to get to the spice and then in this new book originally it wasn't until like later I can't remember when and I had a bit of a tantrum partway through writing this I was like I can't do this like it doesn't feel right (laughs) so then I pulled it back I think to like I don't know like chapter four or five and now I found a way to have it in chapter two so that's what I spent yesterday writing (laughs) (laughs) so now I'm like ah and (laughs) I'm done now I'm done like it feels good now um although the problem is when you do have it that early it's like like genuinely how do you keep upping the sexual stakes yeah I think that's it and I liked the kind of build-up so there was a lot of like if you look at the language that I use it's all very kind of like kind of putting those ideas in your head before it actually happens and just driving them a little bit crazy making them think is it gonna happen yet um, yeah. And it is that kind of exactly like you said, upping the stakes, because if you start like full on, <laughs> where do you go from there? Which is another handy thing with reverse harm, because you can just add another penis. <laughs> <laughs> add another cock. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, dear. OK, so let's let's talk about that, because essentially you have a you have a large cast you almost have like a like an Avengers style cast so like what (laughs) advice do you have for um listeners on creating you know unique characters how do you make them all different from each other like where do you start with that how do you yeah how do you make sure that those characters all stand out from each other um so I kind of went with tropes and I wanted each one to fulfill a different kind of trope. Um so I've got the kind of golden retriever energy um like totally lovable one. I've got the really grumpy one who hates her from the beginning and it's more it's like a really agonizing like he's refusing to join the harem kind of build up. Um, I've got the one who she's fated to be with, um, but he's got a really tortured past and he's super, he's actually addicted to human blood and and she's got like really special blood. So that like, yeah, that's another thing. Um, I've got the daddy of the group, (laughs) which I didn't expect everyone to love as much, but TikTok went crazy for him. So he kind of became a bit 
bigger player than I expected. Um, and also because I write paranormal, that kind of adds another layer to it. So I tend to make their personality tie in with their powers. So the empath is the golden retriever guy. The fire mage is the one who's like really hates her, got all the energy. Um, the daddy is a polar bear shifter. That really doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have any relevance at all. Um, so I kind of start on that level. And then obviously they've got to be complex characters underneath. They've got to have other layers going on. They can't just be totally like two dimensional and just fulfilling that. But um, it enables you to have something for everybody, play on the different tropes that people like. Yeah. So talk to me then about the relationship side, because I can imagine that, you know, it's difficult enough for me to create one relationship between these two characters that feels, you know, fresh and unique. And then like genuinely, I'm like, oh, my God, like, how do I make these characters have sex differently than everybody else had sex in the last, you know, like four books? Like, <laughs> like I actually have questions for you about sex. Um, uh, but yeah, like how how talk about the intimate emotional relationship side? Like, do you intentionally differentiate like what those intimacy emotional connections look like how do you do that have you got some examples yeah definitely so um so nova is the main female character in my main series so tanner the golden retriever guy that was very much like almost sweet romance in energy he it was like insta love he was totally into her from the beginning and that was just it was very easy with him um with so the daddy of the group, for example, he has so many issues. His sister died and he he feels very responsible for that. And he doesn't believe that he deserves happiness. So a big part of their storyline is her kind of breaking down his barriers. Um, the guy who really hates her, he his whole family was killed by humans. So And she is a human who is kind of turning into a witch during the series. So that's part of why he cannot be with her. So there's always... Um, the same kind of thing that you would do if it was just one couple, making sure that there's really kind of, you've thought about the reasons that they're going to have a bit of drama. Like it's clear that they're going to end up together and it's clear that they're going to end up as part of the harem, but there's still got, each one has still got to have their own obstacle to overcome. And some of them overcome it quickly. Some of them, it takes more books in the series. And that I think is part of what drags the readers through the series, because you're not just building up one relationship. They know you're building to a point where everybody's going to be in the harem. Everybody's going to be shagging everybody. <laughs> and, every, and the romances are all going to be tied up. So even when one kind of, they figure out what's going on between them, then there's like the next one to kind of take over. Do the characters like talk about the relationships with the other people in the group or is that kind of a forbidden like? No, they do. So I think it's usually quite important that they um, that they're open about it. It really depends. So in mine, the guy is very much found family is very much my kind of thing. So the guys already have a close relationship. Um, so they're all very kind of open with each other. There are like some authors who will do it where everyone knows about it, but actually maybe two of the guys really hate each other. They're okay with the fact that she's with both of them because they want her to be happy, but they hate each other. So um, with me, it's that found family trope and it's very much like, and also fated mates. So it's based around a prophecy. So they're all fated to be with her. So they're kind of like, 
look to the one who hates her for example you're gonna end up with her eventually you hate her because you actually love her like why are you torturing yourself um so for me they do have those conversations oh I love it okay so now we've got to talk about like the sex so (laughs) that's a lot of different sexual relationships do they all just bang in the same way like no, how- they all have kind of so with the daddy of the group, for example, there's a bit more of a like BDSM thing going on there. Um, with the golden retriever guy, it's all just very much about re- pleasing her, and he's just like super excited about everything. And he's a water mage, so he does some cool tricks underwater. Um, <laughs> I've seen the stick man drawings, yes, he does, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's another thing is that you can play with the um the different ways that they have sex and you've got like try to make it so that they each have their own way of interacting sexually with each other so it's not just a you know a free for and it, for me it connects to their emotional journey so the way that they have sex will have you know significance in terms of how they're trying to get over their obstacles and build their relationship yeah oh you're giving me you're giving me some really interesting ideas about how to, to talk. <laughs> I kind of don't want to say it out loud, but like I've got this certain kink that's happening in in the this, this book one vampire romance that I didn't expect. So I've gone and like seeded it back in, but I don't think I realized like why I was doing it. And I think hearing you say it connects to the emotional journey. Now I... Well, I'm like, I'm like this close. I think I know why I'm doing it, but like I haven't seeded any of that reason. So I need to go back and edit that in. But like, oh, that makes so much sense. (laughs) Um, Okay, but now on like the functional level, like Mm -hmm. I'm only on book four of writing spicy romance. And like, I am already struggling to like think of different locations for them to bang. (laughs) Tell me your secret, because this is a really difficult, like, you know, once they've banged in the shower, they've banged in a lake, they've banged on the bed, they've banged in the kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like, where else can they shag? Like, Like, well, this is where magic magic helps because you can always um, (laughs) you can always twist it that way. But yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. There's a running joke between my readers that every time they need to get somewhere, they'll end up shagging on whatever mode of transport it is. (laughs) Just like okay, we've got like a three hour train journey, so (laughs) we're we're like, what else are we gonna do? This cargo train. We might as well all bang in the in the train. Um, But no, genuinely, it is difficult to. to vary the setting and the, the stuff that's going on. I think research helps, like researching, reading shit tons, not because you're going to copy someone else, but because it will give you ideas of how you can maybe twist that. Um, and also TikTok is huge. Like I try to pay attention to what kind of scenes and settings people respond to and think are hot. Um, I've got a really big mansion in mine, so I'll just like add in a dungeon. <laughs> Or like a a ballroom with a big snooker table in it or whatever. But yeah, it's hard. It is a challenge. Um, I think for me, the hardest bit will be the new series that I'm starting because I feel like I did kind of everything with the Phoenix Prophecy series that's ending up at nine books. And it's like, (laughs) Um, where do we go now? So we've just done a museum um, and a hall of mirrors in in a fairground. But I'm not, and it's also hard to get creative without it seeming ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, there's definitely like, how far can you push this line? But I think there's also like, you you don't, <clears throat> you have to hit certain tropes and sexual, certain sexual tropes as well, I think. But yeah. also you don't want it to seem like it's just the same old, same old like locations and stuff. And um, I know what you mean about like doing the reading and looking looking on TikTok and stuff, but there are certain like, like for example, let's say there's a particular kink that loads of, let's just say people like to see people being handcuffed, right? That isn't yeah. copying it. Like you need to write the but it's trying to find creative ways to do that and those are the scenes that people talk about so like I have the armchair scene where she ties the daddy of the group to the armchair and then she sits on his lap and then the golden retriever guy you know makes her happy while she's sitting on um involves himself in some deep self-care for her between her legs and (laughs) that's one that everyone talks about because it's like a really strong visual and it was also emotionally quite significant that scene because he was refusing to give in so they were like okay well we're gonna like tease you to the point where you can't resist anymore. Um, so, but so it's it's difficult. But actually, sprinting with you has been really good because a couple of times I've been like, oh, I've got to write this scene, and like I don't know what to do and what can they do, and just having somebody to bounce ideas off and then be like, oh yeah, we I could do that. Um, I mean, it's fun. It's one of the most fun parts for me is trying to think of different ways to make it unique and fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the sex scenes are by far and away my favourite scenes to write because yeah. I don't even know why, but, like, I just... It's so much fun. Like, I hear... They're action scenes, aren't they? Yeah. Like, and it's trying to find that kind of unique... And to be honest, actually, sometimes I just... I don't know what's going to happen. I just know they need to have sex in this scene. Yeah. And start writing, and then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that is how this particular kink happened for me. Yeah. I was like, I had no idea that this was going to be. And now I've written two scenes like it, and I'm like, I need to carry this on. So, like, how the fuck does it get bigger and bigger and bigger as I go through? I might have to talk to you about this. But um, <laughs> it is one of those things, like, oh, like, they almost decide how they're going to have sex in the end, and, like, it kind of surprises you. And- yeah, and I think because you know the characters, and you've, you've, you, know, you know them by the time they, a little bit by the time they get to a sex scene. So, in a way, as this sounds really, you know, the muse, but the way, that it, the way it develops will sometimes just be a bit of an unconscious thing yeah 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 I totally um agree so let's talk about the sprints because this is new for both of us Uh, I mean (laughs) obviously we have both done sprints for a long time but us in a partnership sprinting is new and it's kind of changed shit for both of us so do you want to like let's talk about first of all how fucking fast you are (laughs) how did that happen how fast are you how did that happen um Um, yeah so I think I so if I'm really going for, I can write about 3000 words in an hour um, and it's pretty clean, which I think is the thing. Um, and it's because of the ghostwriting. So I was a ghostwriter for uh, about four years. Um, I wrote maybe 18 books in that time and I got paid per word. So the only way for me to make that worth my while and allow me to have enough time to still focus on growing my author business was to be fast and clean because then I didn't have loads of edits to do. Um, and it definitely built up over time. Part of that was the fact that they had very detailed outlines that I worked to. So that helped in terms of getting me faster. Um, and okay, li- but on that, like- <laughs> what blows my mind is that you now don't have detailed outlines. Mm. So 
talk about that switch was it just a training do you think I think or? so I think it's actually to just to do partly to do with how physically fast you can type because I think a lot of us our brains are are there but physically our fingers can't keep up so for some people that's why dictation is a game changer because yeah. um I can't do I need my fingers to do the thinking like I, I don't get on very well with dictation but I think that was part of it for me is just if you think about how many millions of words I've written over the last five years it's physically getting your fingers quick enough and that is tricky because for some people that's going to be a barrier that you, there's only so fast you can go and um, I'm play piano so maybe that's part of like part of it um I didn't know that <laughs> I'm sure you did no I did not oh my god um, uh, so that's why you like Ryopi and Ludovico yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. my god! <laughs> oh, okay, we have to have a conversation about that after. another time. Yeah. Oh, um, so maybe that's part of it. And um, I've been typing for a long time. Like I used to help my parents in their business by typing up stuff for my mum. So um, the physical typing speed, I think, is a big thing. I think you're right. There's also a training, though. Like because if I look back, I, you know. I, some of it was mindset. I really didn't think I was capable of writing more than like, you know, 2000 words in a day. Um, and But also some of that was about the fact that I wasn't writing in a, in air quotes, competitive environment. But also, yeah. you know, like it isn't really, it's not a competition between us, right? Like it isn't because we are there cheering each other on. It doesn't matter who wins the sprint round and, it, and we're pretty yeah. evenly matched. It doesn't matter who wins the sprint round. We're, we're both cheering and both pumped at the end of it. And I think that it makes it so much fucking fun to write. But what I, the magic for me is that I can't write as fast as I write without you. Like I tried <laughs> yesterday. Okay. I really fucking tried, but I couldn't do it. Like I did write a shitload of words. I wrote six and a half thousand words yesterday, but it was so painful. <laughs> it was so painful. Whereas, you know, we can do that in like, you know, a couple hours, two, three hours. We can, we can write that many words. And afterwards I'm pumped. Yeah. And I feel Exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the real difference. Apart from that day we did 10K in like four hours and then died. <laughs> like, I really don't want to do that again. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think for me, so what I have done in the past, I need that competitive pressure. Yeah. And because I didn't have that, I would procrastinate and I would leave it till the last minute because that gave me the, okay, I've got five days to write this book. So I have to write 10K words a day. So I have to be really fast. Yeah. So I was writing my books in a week before. Like everyone who knows me is like, holy crap, you finished the book pretty much that's due out at the end of the month. This has never happened. Um, and it's because you're giving me what usually I have to have extreme pressure in order to achieve. So for me- I like the fact that yeah. I'm extreme pressure. Give <laughs> me extreme pressure. Um, but in a really like much, much healthier way. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you're extreme pressure, but you're healthy extreme pressure. <laughs> I also think the way that we're sprinting, and if people haven't tried it, I would highly recommend it because you automatically, most of the time when people sprint, they think, oh, we'll sprint for 20 minutes. Yeah. And if you do, if you are somebody who likes that edge of competition, that's not really giving you that because you're just writing with someone for, tw for 20 minutes or half an hour. Whereas what we did, we were like, okay, let's see how fast we can write a thousand words. 
So we spent a thousand words. It's not to do with the time. And then we're like, oh, cool. We did that one in like 16 minutes or 17 minutes. I think, well, I can't remember. I think we average 16. And then when it's a sex scene, it's slightly slower. And then like when you're on your 10,000th word, you do it in 13 minutes. Whereas I'm like (laughs) fucking out, like dying, trying to get. That was because I could see the end. I was so tired. I was like, right. (laughs) Um, And what surprised me actually was how clean it is. Because I went back thinking, oh God, maybe this is going to need more editing and therefore not going to be worth my while. But actually, no, it's pretty much my normal standard in terms of the writing. So I think it is just that like, I need that element of competition or that, like just that buzz and that Yeah, Yeah, it's that if you know that I'm going to write a thousand words in that 16 minute block and I know that you're going to write a thousand words in that 16 minute block, for you, it's the relentless energy, I think. And for me, it's the I need to win. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I think it becomes a bit addictive because you realise game changer it can be because it's like okay hang on if we can do six thousand words a day in like two and a half hours yeah that is literally a game changer you've got we've got the whole of the rest of the day to work on yeah. our business or do other things but it's we the know pressure release get that in yeah yeah it releases pressure but all, because you have more time like you suddenly you get more time in your day but also it makes it more fun because it is yeah. the most fun and most enjoyable writing that I've done like in in forever so yeah, yeah I'm so- I'm so happy that we <laughs> that we randomly <laughs> were like, like do you want to spread you're on never right <laughs> No, seriously, seriously, after yesterday, never, ever leave me. Um, and we've now planned our holidays at the same time. <laughs> Don't tell everyone that. <laughs> How that completely integrated we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about, um, like, the marketing side. How do you approach marketing reverse harem? Like, what are the common tropes? What are readers like? Like, how are you pitching out towards the readers? Um, Well, so the first thing is never call it reverse harem on Amazon because they'll put you in the dungeon. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I had the words reverse harem in my blurb the first time that I published it and they didn't put me in the dungeon touch wood but they or luckily but they did prevent me from running ads I wasn't allowed to run ads until I removed that phrase so I make it obvious that it's reverse harem in the blurb because I talk about the different guys but don't say the word that's very good advice yeah otherwise you won't be able to advertise obviously Facebook's a little bit different but Amazon for whatever reason which is odd because polyamory is now a category on Amazon but that's very different from reverse harm anyway. Um, but isn't this important? This shows you just how important understanding the market is because yeah. I didn't know that difference. But then I, you know, I haven't, I haven't read Re- reverse harm. I don't think I, oh no, I read the Nikki St. Crow, Peter Pan oh, yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. That's the only one I read. Um, <clears throat> but isn't that just indicative of the fact that you if you think you know the genre you don't you need to know more you need to read more you need to study the market more um and I don't think I can scream that enough but anyway enough about enough about me waffling on marketing (laughs) yeah so I mean for me TikTok has been my biggest marketing platform from the beginning and I think in spicy romance in general but also RH there's a lot of reader recommendation is just absolutely huge and they will do the work for you really if you can get 
um, that initial kind of burst of readers. And they're so good at breaking down the tropes in books. I pay a lot of attention to the reader groups on Facebook and how they talk about what tropes they like. And then that influences what I emphasize in my marketing and my TikTok. So if I ever get a review, not so much on Amazon, but on Instagram, definitely, and in reader groups, I look at how they describe my books and I'm like, and sometimes you're like, oh, I actually hadn't really realized that that was a trope or I wouldn't have phrased it that way because they're readers talking to other readers. So as authors, we think we know how readers talk and we think we know what they want and what they're looking for. But we, although we read, we read very differently because yeah. whenever we're reading, we're reading usually with a purpose and we're, we're thinking about things differently. So I think it's really important to look at the way they phrase things as well as, um, you know, not just the Amazon reviews and what they're saying. So with my TikTok stuff, I kind of break, I there's a few tropes that I know people respond to. So there's the daddy trope, there's the foster brother trope, um, there's the foster brother is still a virgin trope. Um, I know that they're ones that people really respond to. So they are the ones that I kind of rinse and repeat. And then every now and again, I'll try something different to see if people respond to it. And how, let's go deeper into that. How do you turn what is essentially a sex scene into a hook for TikTok? And do that without saying anything explicit and getting yourself shadow banned on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, that is, it is a skill because a lot of people who write Spice go straight for that. I think most people know now that you can't just say cock on TikTok, but they'll try and mask it with different characters. And TikTok is like more clever than that now. They know. So a lot of it is the suspense and kind of. I I don't ever touch wood. I think I, I've never had a community violation. Oh my god, um, I've had like two or three. <laughs> and I don't, um, yeah, I don't use explicit words. I'll kind of end a scene without. I'll just put dot dot dot, and they know what word I'm. They they can fill in the blanks, and that makes them kind of read on more. And as for like pulling out the hooks, I think it's really focusing on the element of that scene that readers are going to love. So being so aware of your tropes. And the only way you're going to know that is by really spending a lot of time on TikTok and looking at what people respond to um, and analyzing what they respond to in your own content when you put it out there. Um, And there is that element of emotion. Like they usually, because it's not just the sex that they're responding to, because anybody can write, they banged on the table. Like readers don't, that's not the thing that is, it's that uniqueness so there's a scene where um, she's being tattooed and he goes down on her and then she tells her other boyfriend about it later. And that kind of interplay between them is something that people really like. So it's not just the logistics of the the scene. It's kind of trying to get that little bit of emotion in there as well so that people, that's what they respond to. I mean, a really popular one is the obviously like, who did this to you? Like that kind of um oh my god makes people love that yeah Yeah, I'm like feral for that any any of those like common phrases like eyes on me look at me when you when you come uh get on your knees uh like yeah who did this to you there's only one bed like I never realized how much I love there's only one bed but like (laughs) it's literally like I'm like "Ah!" (laughs) every time like it gets me every fucking time like even if it yeah like it gets me every time um my case is a cave it was like there's only one cave (laughs) oh I love it I've got there's only one horse (laughs) except I've kind of fucked it up because the the, yeah anyway I need to draw that back I think a little bit earlier um 
anyway, yeah, I love I love that trope. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else. What what is like the one thing you wish you'd known about reverse harem and why choose? before you started or do you feel like you kind of you did the right research I feel like with this one I did the research um genuinely mainly that you can't even say reverse harm in your blurb on Amazon <laughs> that was what I wish I'd known um, how did I... you approach your research then that maybe that's a better question um I read a shit ton of books <laughs> so I Basically, I didn't think that I could write reverse harm. I didn't think that I would enjoy writing it. So I was seeing all these success stories and I was like, look, I, I love romance. I like spice. So just read them and see. And I actually loved it. I really loved it. Um, so I read a ton and I literally broke down like at what point people had sex, how many people were in each sex scene. And then I tried to like draw similarities between the books I was reading, like on average, by the end of book one, three of the members of the harem have had sex, but there's still two who haven't given in. Um, and at what point in the series, the harem becomes fully formed. And all of that stuff, I was super, super detailed with the research. And that's a level that I hadn't done before. I thought I'd researched stuff before. With my women's fiction, I read a couple and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. But <laughs> I treated it like a university degree in a way, like the way you would approach actually yeah, I do. having to produce a yeah. project and then with TikTok, I, um, again, spent so much time analyzing what people were responding to, same in the, in the Facebook groups and stuff. And then I had my idea for the story and spent a lot of time figuring out how, what I'd learned was going to fit. So, but before I'd written it, because basically I didn't want to give, I was making maybe 2k a month from my women's fiction. So I didn't want to give that up if this wasn't going to work. So before I'd even written Nova, the first book, I started the TikTok um, and I started putting hooks out there that I thought were going to be in the book. And then people started going feral for them. And I had to shove up a pre-order really quickly and make a homemade cover that said like real cover coming soon so that I could start getting pre-orders. And at that point I was like, okay, I better write the book because people want it. Um, but that's how kind of analytical I was about it I didn't want to risk what I'd already developed in if something wasn't going to work yeah I think and not just one it didn't you get like a ridiculous number of pre-orders just under a thousand yeah for <laughs> the book one with no marketing spend at all just yeah I mean that is really the power of TikTok but like I think what has been so surprising for me this month with TikTok is so I was talking to one of my friends yesterday or the day before, and um, she writes in the same genre. So she writes sapphic romance um, and she has uh, her dashboard. It reads very similarly to yours. She's like 70, 80 percent KU um, and very, very low levels of like paperbacks. And um, whereas you look at my account and I checked this morning, I'm 50 percent paperback. Like 50% paper, who, what fucking indie author do you know that is 50% paperback? Nobody, nobody is 50% paperback. No. And, um, but what that tells me, thank you, Posty, Merry Christmas, is that, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it in the background, loads of posts should drop through the thing. Anyway, um, what that tells me though, is that like the, the, what am I trying to say? It gives me so much hope and, and 
and optimism for the future because what yep. that tells me is that there is a KU market, there is a paperback market, there is an ebook market. There are all of these markets and we can tap into all of them. We just yep. have to figure out the marketing, figure out and understand how you capture the attention of people in these different um, like marketing outlets, the different distribution channels. Like I am so full of hope for the future for next year. Like, yeah. you know, I, I really feel like sometimes our community can be a little bit negative and a little bit woe is me and a little bit, yeah. oh, you know, there's this bad thing and that bad thing. And I'm like, bitches, open your fucking eyes. Yeah. Like we Just are in. In it on its head. It's all about how you, how you, um look at it like yeah. there's a big shift happening I think Becca Simon's been talking about this a lot lately there is a big shift happening in indie publishing right now and for a lot of people it's very scary because it is scary traditional it's... tactics that we've used yeah working anymore you can't just do launch at 99p do you know get a book bub deal all of that kind of stuff but if you think about it the other way the chances that we've got now or the opportunity we've got to own our yes. business be in control of it, it the landscape has changed so much and that's not just because of tiktok it's because i think lockdown had a lot to do with it yes. people are more open now to buying yeah. from small businesses direct people readers are becoming more aware of what a raw deal authors get from yeah. amazon and ku and all of that kind of stuff kickstarter has been a huge thing like for me this year i did a kickstarter for the special editions that got um, just under 10k that was literally just special edition hardbacks of my books and all of those people pretty much I think I got a couple from TikTok one from my newsletter everything else came direct from the Kickstarter platform because it's another place to find readers so we've got all these opportunities that we that's, didn't have before that's what I mean I feel like we have all of these opportunities and we are so lucky like if you are starting out now you are so fucking lucky to be starting yeah. right now because we have like and don't get me wrong it's still hard I'm not I'm not underplaying yeah. the difficulty that there is to to find your audience and but but I feel like the difficulty is in the learning mm -hmm. like because once you've learned how to do it the world there is so much opportunity right now that, yeah. and I can't you know learning how to do this is difficult I won't you know, deny that. But once you get it, fuck me, the world is your oyster. Like we are in yeah. a very good place right now for- and I think even in terms of like writing to market, if you remove having to fit into an Amazon category, because so far when we've written to market, that's pretty much what we're trying to do. We're looking at what other book covers look like in our Amazon category. We're trying to fit into that box. If you remove that and you think more about appealing to readers directly, via TikTok, via reader groups, what, however that is, it changes your thinking on yeah. things. You don't have to make it a 10 book series just cause you're gonna get more page reads. You don't have to make it 80,000 words because that's the optimum number for your page reads. You can make it 40,000 and still charge 399. Um, yes. You can choose the cover that you find visually appealing because you know that other people are gonna find that visually appealing. And as long as you tell people on TikTok that it's, you know, a sapphic romance, then they'll know that it's a sapphic romance. So I think it's, it's if you look at it the right way, it's so exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited. I just, yeah, I, yeah, 100%. I could wax lyrical about this all day. But <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel.
Um, I was thinking about whether I should say this and I think it might get me into trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those who know me know that I'm going through divorce at the moment. And a few weeks ago, I put my wedding rings in a box and I threw them in a river. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I wrote a load of stuff on the box. I filled the box with stones and I threw it into the river. And I thought it was going to sink, but it actually didn't. It floated away under the bridge. And the tourists in Cambridge were all kind of standing around. And I just love, it's the writer in me. I love the idea that someone might find the box, look at all the stuff written on it, look at the rings and be like, oh my God, what's the story behind this? Yeah, I think that is absolutely incredible. You wrote the end on it as well, didn't you? I did, yeah, I wrote the yeah. end. <laughs> I think it's like somebody's going to pick that box up and wonder if it's like a cursed ring or something. Like, I, I know, think it's right? amazing. Love, or it's going to be like the start of a psych thriller or something. Yeah, oh my God, you should totally do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Don't okay, steal well, that idea, anyone. I'm going to write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books and anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, caraclare.com or caraclare author on TikTok and Instagram. Amazing. Well, well, thank you so much. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Cara Claire, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Jesse D'Angelo, and we're talking all about how to write horror. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.